You are listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. You have chosen wisely. Please go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. Paul's mom, Jessica, and an old woman known as the Bandersnatch use the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to pr- determine if Paul is the Khmer Rouge or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's... <laughs> Welcome to the Legendarium. This is the Blue Team. Uh, Legendary Blue Team. Hopefully you guys are excited, as excited to hear us as we are excited to be heard. That didn't sound exactly like I wanted. That's okay. This is episode 214. We are doing Dune Part 1. And I want to make sure we take a few moments to introduce all of our wonderful panelists. She could certainly have passed all of the training of a Bene Gesserit school and done it in record time. We have Megan Smythe. Hey, everybody. I'm so glad that she's here. Um, he is about the same age as Duncan Idaho, but he's only about 25% as deadly. It's Ken Johnson. <laughs> but I am fresh out of a fight and spoiling for music. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that was, uh, that was actually Idaho. Gurney Halleck, but that's I a know it was. Story, we'll, we'll deal with that later. I like Gurney Halleck. And <laughs> we, have, we'll talk about that. we have a special guest. Uh, he's an author of multiple, uh, multiple books, including, uh, First Fixer and, uh, Knights of a Dead God. Did I ask you about that one? Knights of a Dead God. You did not know. Okay. Um, did I get that right? That's right. Okay. Um, and he's likely someone who can think with the precision of a mentat. He is James Jenkins. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great yeah, to be here. It's a pleasure. Um, James is a, uh, an author who is local to the Utah area. Mm-hmm. Uh, before we dive into everything that we're going to talk about, I want to do a little bit of housekeeping really fast. Um, of course, uh, when, whenever we talk about housekeeping, we always say Patreon, Reddit, Twitter, you know, our names at the legendary podcast for, dot com for email. All of that, yep, okay, we're good. But I, I wanted to take just a moment and give a special shout-out to our Patreon subscribers. Your generous donations are what allow us to continue to push the envelope of what we can provide, uh, making remotes like we did a couple of weeks ago. Uh, if you haven't heard that episode uh, on The Truth, it was a remote broadcast. Um, you need to go back and listen to that. I'm not going to reveal what what was the, the cool thing about that, is if you haven't listened to it, you need to go listen to it and be excited like all the rest of us were. Um, but, you know, other kinds of things where we get an opportunity maybe to, to travel and to see you guys and to, and to really be able to engage more with you. Those of you that are subscribing through Patreon, you're the ones who make that possible. So thank you so much for that. We really appreciate it. Um, and there you go. So with that said, housekeeping over. Um, James, before we dive into uh, Dune, will you tell us a little bit about some of the books that you've read, where people can find them, and and maybe why you decided because you're taking a very different bend. Also, on, the books that you've written. Uh, or did I, say I read? Assumed that's I, what he I meant, meant written. I've I'm read a sorry. lot. So. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, tell us about tell us about uh, and and you were telling us a little bit about the the take on this one. You uh, are on one, your, one of your series that's really kind of different from everybody else's. Yeah, uh, it's actually becoming a little more popular. But my first novel is a titled Jack Bloodfist Fixer. Uh, it's an urban fantasy starring an orc in a suit in a small city in Virginia. Uh, and the uh, primary villain of that book is a paladin of a god of justice who's come to town hunting uh, the orcs. Which, of course, makes Ken very conflicted right now. <laughs> yeah. um, if it makes you feel any better, I do have a spin off sort of sequel series starring that same paladin as the good guy. Ooh. Yes, so, I'm very I'm very interested in he, all of these. He has a redemption arc after that first book. But nice. uh yeah, so, so that my thought on that one was I wanted the orcs to be the good guys, so the orcs and goblins and I have a drow character, you know, the dark elves. And they're the good guys whereas the villains are these 
you know, paladins of justice that just kind of overzealous. And I kind of just like the idea of flipping it on its head like that. Overzealous. That's a good. That's a good way to describe yeah. paladins. An overzealous paladin. I've, I've never. Does it make any sense? That. In fact, I've never played a D and D adventure with an overzealous paladin. Right. Um, I, I love the idea of flipping things on their head. That's. Yeah. That's a. It's a great. I don't want to. I hate using the word trope because it's so tropey these days. But it's not, a fun start. But Tro it is. Tropes are good. They they exist for a reason. I it's think true. so. And just out of curiosity, did you play D&D &D when you were a kid? Is that part of where no, this comes from? I mean, it is very inspired by D&D, &D, but I've only been playing D&D &D for the last decade or so. Okay, okay. But yet, um, for those that do play D&D, &D, Jack, the main character, the orc, he is uh, he's a bard. Okay, so okay. So people that like bards might like Jack. Jack the orc. Nice. I'm a fan already. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and people can pick these books up. You can buy them anywhere. Uh, Amazon's probably the easiest, but you can get them Barnes & Noble, Kobo, okay. Apple, wherever. Great, great. Um, more power to you, and uh, you know, we, not only do we appreciate the fact that you're willing to be here, but hopefully, uh, some of your some of your insights and some of the things that you've been developing as a writer are going to inform some of the conversation that we're having today too. So that should be a lot of fun. Okay. Tell us one more thing before we get before we start diving into this. Um, you, we we kind of connected through email, and you mm -hmm. had said, "Hey, I'm interested in Dune. Why why is Dune such a big deal for you?" So Dune was one of those books I read, you know, when I was 14, 15, when I was first discovering genre, you know, fantasy, science fiction. And it's, it's just one of those pillars, you know, like that probably sounds really. Uh, tropey. Tropey of an answer. Yeah, it's a tropey answer. The, wor uh, the word of the episode is tropey. <laughs> Trope. Is uh, that the word we're going to bleep out? There we go. Oh, Never yeah. Mind. Sounds kind of. <laughs> Like like the the Ben Benjesserit, the Mentats, the that like the senses that they have, like the almost super evolved humans. I just like there's that whole aspect of it that's really stuck with me, and it's something that I enjoy writing. Those like over competent characters, okay. if that makes sense. Okay. So great. Well, we are certainly going to be having a good time talking about Dune as we move through this. Um, again, we're going to be talking about this. In this episode, we are just addressing books one and two of Frank Herbert's Dune. Um, and I think I think he calls them books, I, sections. Yeah, that confused sections me. Sections yeah, yeah, They weren't parts one, two, and three. They were books one, two, and three. Yeah, but... so... Uh, so if you are if if you have already read these, you're good to go. If you are one of those people who doesn't like spoilers, you may want to stop recording the stop listening to the episode. Go and read it. Um, but let's be honest: if you've gotten this far out of the episode, you probably understand how we work. So uh, there will be spoilers for parts one and two. We are not gonna we're not gonna be a spoiler free episode. However, um, the the two of us that have read the rest of the books are making a solemn vow. Not to reveal anything that happens outside of parts one and two. Um, so for Megan and Ken, because both of them think that maybe they can remember something from the movie, which doesn't have anything to do I with the movie. Yeah, I've remember. never seen the movie at all. That. Yeah, okay. So yeah. we're gonna we're we're gonna try and make sure that there's no spoilers as we're talking about this uh, for the for the end of the book. But just keep in mind we're we're reading the first two we're reading the first two parts. Ken, do you have a do you have a recap for us? I have. Uh, Form of a recap. A form of a recap. What? No, I've got a form of a form of a, a form. Form of a shape of a recap. So now you just have form recaps. Something. I yeah, they're like form letters. I just plug in. Blank is the story of. Yeah. You know. It and this is me. what happens. It and these are the characters. Re recap, recap Mad Libs. libs. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. All right. Here, I like that. Take it away, Ken. Here we go. 
All right, take a bunch of names that are easy to remember, add a bunch of names that look like Herbert just randomly pounded the typewriter for a while, and you've got Dune. The story of Paul Atreides, whose family business is transferring to the spice mining planet of Dune, or Arrakis. Paul's mom, Jessica, and an old woman known as the Bandersnatch use the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar to determine if Paul is the Khmer Rouge or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's... <laughs> All right. In truth, Paul is the unsanctioned son of the of Bene Gesserit uh, witch, what they call her, who was destined or prophesied to lead the Arrakis and the Freeman or the Fremen people to paradise. He's also the heir of Leto Atreides, who is the emperor's. Uh, uh, who many of the barons and the emperor all hate, mainly because he has that irritating habit of being honorable and having concern for those under his rule, etc. Atreides is assigned to lord over Arrakis, also known as Dune, because it's a desert planet that is so treacherous that it's always hot and there are exactly zero sources of water. And we're told early and often that you don't ever want to get caught stranded in the desert. So naturally, you know, that's where we'll be seeing Paul and out there eventually. <laughs> Turns out it doesn't take long. Paul and his Bene Gesserit mother, Jessica, are driven out and of their home after shock troops of the Baron Harkonnen and Galactic Empire or Emperor raid the house Arrakis and murder pretty much every character of note that we actually care about. Fortunately, Paul and Jessica are found by a group of Fremen who believe that Paul is the Messiah, which he promptly becomes. He takes a Fremen lover, much to the consternation of his overbearing mother, who just doesn't understand our love. Harkonnen wolves are at the door. Things going crazy. So questions. What is the connection <laughs> between the sand the sandworms and the spice? Got to be some connection there. Yeah. How long until Paul starts writing these worms? Because that just makes sense for a story like this. It does. And well, is, they've alluded to it. No. I'm sorry. Continue. Did, did they allude? I missed it. But, yeah, they did. Oh. Yeah, they did. Talking I, about the hooks. I'm not nearly as clever as I thought I was. Is Duncan Idaho actually dead? Because like the old Bene Gesserit uh, saying goes, do not count a human dead until you've actually seen the body. And even then, you can make a mistake. Mm -hmm. So... There's your recap, and remember, the only OC Bible that I care about is the Orange County one that says, Thou shalt go to Disneyland often. Oh, oh I like that. I didn't realize that was part of the OC Bible. That's part of the OC now Bible. Now that we know, okay, okay. Um, Ken, that was a really good recap, and, <laughs> and I'm still trying to get over the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Um, and I'm sure, <laughs> I'm sure that's what Frank Herbert was thinking I'm about sure. when he came up with that word. All right, so... Since he was about eight years from becoming Kareem Abdul-Jabbar when he wrote this book. <laughs> what Initial impressions on the book. Um, James, let's start with you. You know, you've talked a little bit about uh, about your love of Dune. In, initial feelings on these uh, as we're going through this. Yeah, so I've actually, I was rereading it in preparation for this, and I'd forgotten how much I love this book. Yeah. Like, it's it's just so good. Um, yeah, it, it feels almost modern, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like, how it's an old book. I'll do air quotes around old, but it, it feels like it could just, you know, be released this year and it would do okay. Okay. So it's holding up well over time. Yeah, I think so. Okay, great. Megan, how about you? This um, is your first time through the book. This is my first time through the book. I am not going to scream into the microphone, but there, there are pieces where I just want to scream because I'm enjoying it. So like from the first page, I was like, okay, I'm hooked. I'm, I will buy into this, but they talk about a lot of things that I don't really understand kind of because they use made up words and then don't define them um and so i yeah. but like, kind of makes me feel like, dumb but like it's like I'm, en words? I'm enjoying it i'm really enjoying it but it kind of makes me feel dumb when i'm reading like which words i didn't write them down okay i don't know he was he like, was talking about I, like one of them i'm pretty sure is some kind of reference to taxes where 
the Duke is talking about how, yeah, no, we're going to give these breaks to these warlords and they'll like us more. So we'll be safer here on Arrakis. Okay. Okay. I know what you're talking about. I don't know. It took me a while to figure out what the guild was. And then I realized that my paperback copy has, um, kind of a little glossary in the back. So that those are nice. Oh yeah. That that (laughs) hurts a lot. (laughs) Anyway. Ken, how about you? It, it did take a long time to figure out, you know, words like Bene Gesserit and, and Kwisatch Haderach and and the Gomjabar <laughs> and all and Muad'Dib and all. I'm like, I and and then yeah, you throw in, you know, all of the different uh, the the spice guilds and the the emperor and and all of these different houses and and noble lords and stuff. And it's like, even even in a place where we read books that have all of these words that you've never seen before, this still threw me off. I'm like. It is pretty dense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, I don't, I don't know most of these, and it by about chapter seven or so, I finally got into it. Uh, the, all that aside, I was interested. I mean, it, it's a little bit thick. I don't, I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to disparage a book that has meant so much to so many people. No, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> And I don't want to. Frank Herbert's dead. You're not going to offend him. Well, Well, uh, the rest of us will just kill you later. Yeah. (laughs) And I and I don't want to say that as if I didn't like the book because I did. I enjoyed this book quite a bit. Well, the first couple of sections, it just, I didn't. I I guess I I fell victim to the uh, to the uh, expectations of what I was reading because it's. Yeah. I mean, it's often it's talked about as the most important science fiction book of our time. It's yeah. The, the one that isn't inspired so many authors and uh, the story, you know, still holds up and it does. It still mm-hmm. holds up today. I, I thought the story, you know, was well written enough in that sense, but man, I just was like, eh. So I know. I know. And, and me. well, I'm going to, I'm going to keep reading. I'm going to keep, it, it did enough to keep me hooked, but it didn't wow me, I guess. And that's just a victim of, of my own expectations. I think I'll so. be honest. Uh, when I first read the book, um, several decades ago, um, I, I struggled in a, in a similar fashion. Um, and I think for me, part of it was, uh, part of it was a language and trying to, uh, trying to get to a point where I was understanding uh, what all of the references were and where they were going. Mm-hmm. But I, I, and, and Ken, you may find this starts to happen for you as, as we continue on. Um, I, after my during my first reading of it, I got to about where we are now, where we're where we're finishing with parts one and two, and uh, I I vividly remember going with my family on a water skiing trip up to Bear Lake, Utah. Now, for those of you that are not familiar with Utah, it's not that far from Salt Lake City, and the water is exceptionally cold, but it's great water skiing because uh, all but about two hours of the day, the water is just absolutely glassy. It's beautiful if you like water skiing and you like being really really cold. Uh, because the water of Bear Lake is just frigid, yeah. uh, even in July, but, but it's, it was wonderful. And we went up and we had three boats and you could water ski as much as you want. And I loved water skiing at that day. At that point in my life, I was healthy enough to do so. Uh, and I could do it for hours and hours and on, on end. And I didn't go water skiing more than probably three times that whole five day weekend because I went up into a room in one of the cabins that we were at and just red crushed through the end of dune. <laughs> and so I'm in my swimming trunks and people are like, are you going to come swimming? Yeah, I'll be there in a minute. Yeah, I'll be there in a minute. Yeah, I'll be there in a minute. What's what's going on? What are you reading? Nothing. I'll be there in a minute. I'll be there in a minute. I'm sure that they thought I was reading something very controversial, you know, probably porn related. Who knows what was going on? <laughs> but I, I could not pull myself away from the book. And when I finally was finished with it, I just I was like, oh, 
and I started immediately rereading it again immediately. Yep. So I can, I think what, uh, I, I think there's a lot of us that can relate to that feeling of, wow, this is a little bit tricky to get going. And then you hit a point where the, where, where it really becomes a roller coaster ride and it, you'll want to go back and review it because then you, a lot of this stuff will start to make even more sense. Well, and one of the things I think is really interesting about the style of writing that he uses is that he, um, he kind of tells you what's going to happen and then you have to wait for it to happen. So like at the beginning, you have all of the, the snippets at the beginning of each oh, yeah. chapter from I the princess. Love how he does that. Oh and yeah. She's yeah. like, Oh, and you know, it's so sad that the Duke dies. And then, you know, so I'm waiting 300 pages for this to happen. I'm like, I know. So I just felt like really uneasy. Yeah. It was a really interesting way to like build the tension, right? It's yeah. like, he's going to die. Dramatic irony. But when does it happen? Yeah. yeah. They're like, yeah. Oh, well, we already know that the doctor is the bad guy, but everybody's like, "Oh, who could be? Who could be yeah. the bad guy? It's not. It's the equivalent of you yelling at the TV screen, right? Yeah. It's like, don't listen to him. No. Yeah. 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 That was that was actually another interesting <laughs> thing about this book, and I'll, I'll say interesting. Not that I liked or hated it, but it there really aren't any twists at all. I mean. All of the all of the epigraphs tell you what's going to happen. Then it happens, and mm-hmm. there's there's no maybe that maybe that's part of the um, part of my my problem with it. it. It really there was no surprise t- to Paul's arc at all. It's like okay, he's he's 15 years old. He's going to become this chosen one, and you know we know there's going to be some kind of jihad because they say it in like the first couple of chapters. He's going to become the chosen one. Thanks. All right. Spoiler alert, Frank Herbert. You Speaking know. of the chosen one thing, though, I do love how they approach that in the book with the fact that the prophecies are seated, like the Bene Gesserit are yeah, like the missionary. Of just in case, like someone's stranded here and they're going to need help. Let's make them think there's going to be a prophecy related to it. So it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy on the Bene Gesserit's part that they plant these seeds for if they need help. That's it. Yeah. That's I, I like that, that approach. I, that's an interesting take on it. I, I mean, Let's let's talk a little bit about the about some of the world building that or, or universe building, I guess. You know, we talk about there's there and and really when we talk about Dune, there's the Bene Gesserit, uh, there's the the Space Guild, the Spacing Guild, um, and those are really the the two. Ba- and then there's the Chome companies, which are basically everybody else that kind of uses or is used by these two organizations to make sure that number one. The Spacing Guild can continue to work, and number two, the Bene Gesserit continues to work whatever they want to as far as their political machinations. But in, then set against these these two big set pieces, you've got a, a, a galaxy-spanning backdrop. What do you think of the world building that, that Frank Herbert has done in putting all of this together? Did you enjoy it? Did you like it? Did you buy into it? I mean, Megan, you said that you were hooked in it from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. How did how did that did, did that piece of— the book really become something that was appealing to you or were there other things that were going on at the same time? Yeah, I, um, uh, I just lost my train of thought. That happens all the time, James. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, but I, uh, one of the things is I just, I think it's so interesting the way that they are treating this kind of like a feudal system where we read a lot of books that take place in kind of fantasy genres and, Oh, here's the King and here are all the, you know, the Dukes and all the, and so it's, um, it's interesting kind of starting it off in that way. Uh, but that it's, you know, at the same time, it's, it's science fiction. So in my mind, I'm like, Oh, but it's fantasy, but it's science fiction. And then it just kind of merges in, um, like the world's, I don't really have a coherent answer for you. Okay. (laughs) I, I, I thought it was cool the way he did it. 
I didn't understand all of the technicalities of like when they're talking about the still suit and that kind of thing. But at the same time, like I appreciate the necessity for it and how they're always very concerned. Um, that's all I've got right at this moment. James, how about you? What, did you have any thoughts about the way that he's gone about the process of putting this this world or this universe together for for the story to take place? Yeah, um, a lot of the same thoughts that Megan had, like the uh, the fact that it's like a feudal system, and they even refer to them as fiefs. Yeah, like it's, and then the fact that like guns are basically made obsolete, so they're back to like using swords. Like it does feel like a fantasy novel, but then you get to the stuff where he's talking about how the spice is formed and how they can terraform Arrakis, and there's like he's obviously knows his science, but it reads like a fantasy novel mm -hmm. in its world building, which I'm more of a fantasy than sci-fi guy. So I can definitely appreciate that. But you know, the fact that it's, is so huge in scope and you feel like you don't even scratch the surface of it is, I think that's, that's quite a feat on his part. I love that. Ken, yeah. how about you? So, um, I, I just wanted to point this out from our old friend, Jeff Wu. Oh boy. Who, uh, who commented on, on the Reddit, um, that he well he asked the question am i alone in feeling this is much more fantasy than science fiction which mm, yeah. clearly james and and i had to agree you know it is a very it feels like they use the science fiction almost in a star wars kind of way they use the science fiction to drive the fantasy it's more of a space opera than a yeah. hard sci-fi although it's exactly. definitely got that hard sci-fi element to it but it does oh, feel it, more well, fantasy. And I, yeah, yeah. I just think it's fascinating that they they're not i mean in most fantasy it's a lot of political maneuvering and then like battles and here thinking about the bene jeris yes thank you um where i mean a little bit of their maneuverings are political but they're also using genetic yeah. uh, maneuvering and um not telling jessica who her family is and just kind right. of you know oh we're going in here and ha you're our conan boom um, <laughs> crazy twist okay crazy so there, twist. there was a twist there was a twist for you all right yeah. you're right so i i liked they uh, explored the science fiction and or the the science aspect of the fiction primarily in the still suits. So mm -hmm. yeah, there's that a... was which I thought was very interesting, especially I, I in a day and age like this where the military in particular has um they've researched for years or they've worked for years on creating environmental suits or mm -hmm. better environmental suits or suits that will make their soldiers stronger, able to do more with less. Um, or able to, you know, carry much more than uh, they would normally be able to, or, yep. or, or adapt to all of the, uh, the hostile situations. This is right out of, right out of that. And it's, you know, 40 years before, um, serious technology advances became, uh, or became a thing to make that happen. Yeah. One of the things that, one of the things that, and I, and I appreciate the, the, the fact that we've all kind of noticed that there's a, a little bit of a juxtaposition mm -hmm. of some fantasy elements with uh, with the, the the hard science fiction that is involved in trying to make some of those pieces work. Right, and um, it just it gives a little bit of a familiarity, which I appreciated coming it does. into the cult. It does. Um, one of the things that that I know when I was when I was first going through it um, that I think uh, we'll we'll get a chance to explore a little bit more about this as we get into. Uh, and as we get into our second piece, but I, th I think the, the emphasis that Frank Herbert has placed on the storytelling is on the people mm -hmm. rather than the technology. 
And so he he uses the technology very to very easily connect things that need to be done. Like, how are you going to get people from one side to the other? Well, you've got the Spacing Guild. How does the Spacing Guild work? Well, they travel without moving. Oh, that's right. You guys haven't heard that yet. Um, uh, spoilers. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> If you, we're not going to spoil it. Really seems cool. like that was already there. Actually, actually, it feels like it they, feels they, like there was something to that. They talk about it briefly, but here's the thing: a lot of those kinds of aspects of the science that are presented here, he doesn't take time to explain because he treats his characters like they accept it as commonplace. Mm -hmm. In a lot of in a lot of ways, the way that perhaps we would look at the technology that we use on our smartphones or the the uh, technology that we use to travel long distances with our cars or with our smart cars or whatever, we don't spend a lot of time thinking about the technology. It just exists. Right. It just is. Right. And so, you know, if that if if that winds up making it feel more like we're putting more emphasis on the fantasy aspect than the science aspect, um, that's probably that's probably fair. Yeah. Although yeah. I do appreciate that some of the things like the still suits, he will take a, you know, a couple of pages and have, you know, Liet comment and or kinds comment you know say oh and now i'm helping to tighten this strap because this is what this does and this is what these water packs are and just you know you take this minute where it's nice when the characters don't know what's going on so they can explain it and i can be like oh okay i still don't get it but at least it's well, this character somewhere. can be captain exposition yeah. yes. Yep. yes well and then the other thing that happens too um a lot of the a lot of the technology that he that frank herbert is referring to is not is not fantastical technology. It's not mm -hmm. futuristic technology. One of the last things that we get in the in these two sections is they're as they're talking about leaving, is they talk about uh, dew collectors, um, yeah. and 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 Paul says dew collectors. What's that all about? And Frank Herbert takes what I, I I don't I don't know how long it is in the book because I've been I've been listening to it on the on the audio book and so it's it feels like it's about. A page, maybe a page and a half. Yeah, yeah. I've been in the audiobook this time around as well, and you, it's pretty quick. Which, by the way, the audio... Are you getting the one with the... The different actors? Yeah. Yeah, I'm loving it. I'm really a fan. Yeah. Um, this one's done a really good job of that. Okay, we got to go back to Reddit really quick. Hold on, let me finish the duplex. Well, this is this is exactly tied oh. into to this, into all the right, audiobook. All right, fine. From, from Joff Wu again. <laughs> he wants to file a complaint against the audiobook. Oh, oh no. Because he's the guy, he said, Audible has some kind of hybrid thing that absolutely irritated me. He started off with a full cast of voice actors, and it was really fun. He was really liking it. But then for long stretches, the narrator would just plow right through, making no attempt whatsoever to match voices to the specific voice actors. All of the crazy mm -hmm. terms were challenging enough to keep straight and then to have to keep track of the voice actors or the different characters. He said he had a remarkably difficult time keeping track of all the characters because of that. So. Yeah, I could see uh, so for he, a first read-through. I will that agree. Yeah. Yeah. I will agree. This is my second or third read-through, yeah. so that might be the the catch there. Yeah, but, so Joff Wu would say he does not recommend the audiobook. So I will, right. encourage, I will encourage Joff Wu and anyone else to do it again, to go back through a little bit later, because I will tell you, this is, at, at least from my standpoint, this was one of the most fun audiobooks that, that I have been able to work with yeah. because when those when those scenes come in where the different actors are portraying pieces yeah. they become really fun That's and it's cool. only like the really key scenes like the really big important ones that are like full cast yeah and simon vance who's like the base narrator he's incredible just does on his job. own he does a wonderful so. job so you're saying check it out on second read through. i would, I would I'm, gonna, yeah. I'm gonna check it out um I, I think sorry back to the do collectors back to the do collectors um the the technology that he's describing about how those do collectors work is the same kind of 
solar still technology that I was taught about when I was going on my hikes with the scouts out in the desert. Um, and that, and, and so taking technology that is, uh, that is not fantastical, that is not futuristic, that is, that is not necessarily, uh, the kind of technology that, that requires us to make huge leaps in our, uh, in our understanding or our available technology to us and finding ways to make it still very interesting, very compelling and very critical um, I, I really like the way he did that. He taught, they talk about moisture seals. They talk about gathering. They talk about wind traps. They talk about all these different kinds of things that are based on technologies that exist and are in use now. Um, and I, I find that very, I find it fascinating that he has kept those pieces of technology and put them in the context of this huge backdrop that also has interstellar travel mm -hmm. that occurs in the blink of an eye. Um, all of these other kinds of things that are, that are happening around them that are based on technology far beyond our ability. Um, do we have any other questions from Reddit? Some of our other Redditors, um, actually commented on that about how Herbert seemed ahead of his time in terms of some of the, some of the, uh, issues that are a thing now, like global warming, for example, mm -hmm. and, and using technologies that maybe should be explored, you know, alternative uh, energy sources, that sort of thing. So uh, I, I'm trying to find one right now, but... No, that's funny. We can, I, just, we can just say that it's, yeah. you know... Well, every time they would talk about um, Kind's dream of having, like, the whole planet actually be, you know, farmable and grassy and the trees and, you know, not having to stress so much about... And having just, like, a portion of it be the deep sand where they're yeah. they're building spices and i all this i at one thought at one point i thought oh is this is this one of those prequel books where it's like it's actually earth but like from eight billion years ago <laughs> no and so then we're gonna get to the end and it's gonna be like oh and it's earth ha ha yeah, what no no yeah, okay. it's this not is that. not gonna happen they okay. blew it up those not darn dirty apes no. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for telling me that because yeah. i just at one point was like yeah. wait a minute because they, they do mention like early on in the book that arrakis is one of the few planets that has life forms from the original earth on it and that's a big oh, deal okay like the mice and hawks and stuff they call them tyrannical life yes. forms yeah okay. that's familiar oh. thank you mm -hmm. yeah not a problem um so so far favorite scenes um ken let's go to you first because i, I kind of think i know what scene you're gonna pick um honestly i'm not i'm not sure the whole thing is still kind of kind of blurry um <laughs> it, it really is but i uh, i'll tell you tell you the characters that i like the most were gurney halleck and duncan idaho though uh, i'm not surprised i <laughs> Something about punching. Something about punching the warrior poet, you know, the warrior musician. Gurney's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I I love I love that their entire trope. Yeah, I, I feel like we should have a bell every time we say it now. But. It's the word of the day. Aren't we supposed to start screaming or something? Yeah, something. But <laughs> they'll bleep that out later. I, I like Ding. I like them both. I like. Um, well, I, I guess we don't see much of Duncan, you know, past halfway of what we've read. But um, I still maintain he's alive, just because we didn't see him die. And and the Bene Gesserit threw in that, or they threw in that Bene Gesserit proverb that, uh, you know, that we all that we we use for all of fiction. Show me a body. I show me a body. I don't believe they're dead until I see a body. Do you want to spoil there, Ken? No, he's dead. Um, you, you might like God Emperor of Dune, though. <laughs> I have nothing I can throw at you. <laughs> there is no. Oh, God. I love it. I love it. So. Fine. Everybody. 
Everybody good is dead in this book. That's, Except Paul. That's what I took away Paul's from Paul's still but, alive. Yeah. All right. Is Gurney Halleck alive? Don't tell me. I don't uh... Hey, he's still alive as of now, so. No, I guess he disappeared too. No, he's Crap. he's he he's, was he was hanging out with the spice. Yeah, he's with the, the smugglers. Spice smugglers. That's right. Oh, that's okay. Okay, that's right. But then they so. got like immediately attacked at the end of that scene. So I just Okay. It's just how it goes. All yeah. right. All right. So anyway, um yeah, I can't I don't know. I can't I can't lead to uh to one great scene or anything, but how creepy oh, how disgustingly creepy is the Baron. Baron yeah. Harkonnen is just Everything that, everything just drips of ick, you know, when you, <laughs> when you read, yeah, when you read him, it's just, oh, just he, he's drips just of ick. I he like is that. just so gross. And yes. And, and I think largely by design because the, he, he takes on the, the whole persona of the, uh, the, uh, the evil Baron living off you know, the riches obtained by on the backs of others and, and all of that. And, and the, the entitled, I will indulge in every single one of my malicious pleasures because I just can, because I care about no one else. Cause I don't have to care about anyone else. I'm just, I'm just like that. Okay. You know? The Baron is awful, awful, awful. Megan. Uh, I have two that come to mind. One of them, cause I read it this morning, but trying so hard to finish um, before the recording. Uh, but it's um, Fade Rautha's uh, arena, birthday arena battle mm -hmm. um, with the guard who, like, they're breaking all the rules where he's not drugged. Oh, right, right. And, um, but they're still going to cheat. Right, right. <laughs> and But at the same time, like, you have this count and this countess who are kind of watching on behalf of the emperor, and they can see that they're cheating, and they also have like their own machinations and their own, yeah. <laughs> thank you, <laughs> uh, their own agenda that they're, and so there were, there are a lot of pieces going on just in that one chapter that I just, I thought that was a really meaty chapter. Yeah. Um, but I also just thought the the whole sequence where the Duke and Paul get in the thopter for the first time and go and, and they're going out to see the spice production and they end up seeing the worm. And the whole thing going on there where they're trying to, um, like, the Duke is like, I don't care about the spice. We can get more spice. Let's save these people. We need quality trained people. And he, like, goes, he does everything he can to save them. And, like, this yep. whole time, Keynes is watching and he's thinking, uh, this guy, what a wiener. Like, uh, he doesn't <laughs> know. He's the worst. And he gets to the end. He's like, uh, I like him. That that was a yeah. fantastic episode. Uh, a fantastic chapter. Guy, yep, yeah. You're right. This is a guy who the people could rally behind. And yeah, um, they really make it hurt more for when the Duke actually <gasps> dies. Yeah, yes. because you already know that's going to happen. Yes. Like, oh, is this it? No, okay. Unclench. Um, <laughs> it's. <laughs> but it, I just thought that was so beautifully written because it, it says a lot about the Duke. It says a lot about Keynes. It says a lot about um, what life is like. Like I just I learned so much about what um what it could have been there if you know the Baron hadn't sabotaged everything. Um, but it it was just really cool getting to know those characters in those ways. And I really I just love all of the like any any scene where the Duke and Paul are talking with each other. I just I really enjoyed that father son dynamic because they there's a little bit of distance in it at the same time like they just both loved each other so much and they were so proud of each other there's a real power in that in in that connection between the two of them that mm -hmm. um that they harness and that they will come back to uh 
frequently as it goes through the book, Paul is always um, coming back to the lessons that he was learning from his father. Yeah. And and uh, even in the little vignettes in the beginning of each of the chapters, Princess Irulan a lot of times is going back to Paul talking about yeah, it's what like he learned. The childhood from his dad. of Moadib or whatever, yeah, referencing it's like everyone's complainers says that the father's in his son's shadow, but the son's nothing without the father. Yeah. Like, I love that little segment. Yeah. James, how about you? Favorite scenes from so the first my two sections? Favorite scene, and it was my favorite scene the first time I read it, and it was this last time I read it as well. Um that the scene where the first time Paul has his like spice trance. Okay. where he sees all the potential futures. And I just love the way Herbert like did that. And it's like you guys were saying before, there are no surprises. You know exactly what's going to happen. But I just like the way he, he like sets it out. And here's Paul seeing every potential eventuality. And it's the way that plays out. And that like Jessica's fear of him and his fear of himself and his anger at his mother when he finds out, oh, we're Harkonnen. Like, I, I just, <laughs> I love that whole scene. Just the way yeah. it plays out. Yeah. Um, that, I, I remember the, I remember the first time that I read it, I think the, the impact of that scene missed me. Um, I, 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 I acknowledged it. I recognized that some of the things that were going on, it happens, yeah. but it wasn't until I got further on in the book that I went, Oh, I got to go back and reread that. Yeah. Um, and, and doing that. And that's, that's one of the things that I really liked about um, about this book and and really about the way that Frank Herbert writes is that he's he's not concerned about hitting you over the head with things. He's concerned with making sure that he has written them uh, in in whatever way it is that he's decided it needs to be done. If you catch it, you catch it. If not, it'll still be waiting here for you to come back and review it again because he seeds enough things along the way that you recognize, oh, Yes, he has told me this before. I just may have missed it. I need to go back. So, and I think what you're going to find is that as as all of us continue to read through and we get into section three, um, book three, we're we're going to find that there are probably more things that we've been told than we thought we were being told, and and some other some other pretty interesting uh, revelations that come along as to how these things unfold, okay. um, which I'm really excited about. I I am excited about the un. I feel like books one and two, um, my, my, my frustration with books, I, I probably ought to share my favorite scene. Um, it, it's different than it used to be. Uh, my favorite scene used to be, um, as I was, as I was reading through these, it, it used to be the, the big fight scene where the house is coming down and, and there's 18 different things going on all at the same time. And you're trying to keep everything straight and it just, it just steamrolls you along. And gives you no time to stop, and and you have to keep reading because you, it's so easy to lose track mm-hmm. uh, if you're not paying really close attention, especially because of the way that Frank Herbert switches from uh, viewpoint. He'll switch, you know, one chapter it's one viewpoint, one chapter it's like, another viewpoint. Even head hops in the same chapter. Like sometimes, he does yeah. not sometimes worry about that rule at all. And and that's well, not even cha- chapter. I mean, like yeah, one yeah. paragraph Lines to the to next line. paragraph yeah. is like all of a sudden it's like, like Whoa. here's what Paul's thinking, here's what Jessica's thinking. Yeah. That and, was interesting. Yeah. And he takes a very omniscient stand on them, mm-hmm. but he still does it from their perspective. Yeah, it's true. Like it, here it's these three characters in this scene. Like he does I guess it's still limited in that sense. But But he but he does he does a lot of those kinds of things. And that's that scene, uh, if you can call it that, which was almost I think twenty five or thirty pages, 
Hmm. Um, I, I know it was a long, it was, it was, it was two listening blocks for me. And that's kind of how <laughs> yeah. I, I remember them, um, of these, of, uh, of this entire unfolding of the betrayal and the takedown and the Sadakar and, uh, the fighting that was going on inside and the fighting that's going on outside mm -hmm. and, and everybody trying to position themselves so that they can stop everything until Paul and his mother finally escape. Um, just breathless. That was when I first read this that was the one that captured my attention the most but this time my favorite scene of the whole book up to this point in time has been the testing of paul to see if he is human and, oh, the no. and the conversation that follows after the conversation between the reverend gaius the reverend mother gaius uh, gaius Boheme and paul when jessica's not there became one of my absolute favorite scenes in this reading of the book. Not because it was the audiobook and not because of characters that were that were doing things, but because I was taking my time this time through. And there are there are pieces and and maybe because maybe because I spend so much time thinking about level three and we're going to get to level one, two, and three in just a minute. We'll take another Redditor question first, but we'll get to, we'll get to some level one, two, and three stuff. That segment between Paul and the Reverend Mother at the time of his testing is, for me at least, feels all level three. Mm -hmm. It's very much about what's going to be happening. It's very much setting the stage for some, for some very interesting things. We learn, that's where we learn that the Duke is going to die. That's where we learn that there's going to be problems. That's where we're going to learn, we learn that this testing that he's going through is the a precursor to lots more testing that's going to go on. And for me, that scene just captivated me this time around. So that was, that was, I, you know, saying that that's my favorite scene. That's like saying, okay, that's a, that's a 98. The rest of the scenes are, you know, like 95 to 92, but because they're really <laughs> good stuff. Um, but that's kind of where it was at. Well, and I, I do think it's interesting how, when they refer back to that, uh, once they're among the, the Freeman, um, where Jessica mentioned, like everybody's talking about Paul and we'll see. And if she says, Oh, well, he's already gone through the common bar and they all they're just like, Oh, yeah. okay. <laughs> Let's take this guy serious, more seriously. Anyway, can we have a Redditor question? Well, Mixmaster Micah 55. Great name. <laughs> Reddit. Reddit is so much fun. <laughs> Mixmaster Micah 55. I'm going to just keep saying it like that. I'm sure you are. He says, well, he asked a couple of questions and, and uh, kind of spurred the uh, conversation on, on the Reddit. But he, he asked about the thoughts about the series being dated, which we kind of talked about a little bit. But he um, he pointed out that uh, I I know Dune is beloved, but it really doesn't impress me terribly, although this its impact on the culture can't be dismissed. Kind of felt similar to that. A uh, question he asks down later, though, is um, how, where, sorry, where is it? Um, the characters, he said the characters felt pretty empty and he didn't really ever get on with Paul, which I guess is part of the point, but it it, it didn't feel like he, it felt milk toast to him or it felt like he, he just couldn't relate hmm. to it. And I, I thought much the same thing and uh, a couple of other Redditors commented part of it is is i think because he just kind of becomes unrelatable at it yeah midway you can't through. relate with paul i mean how yeah point. when yeah. he starts to to see all of the eventualities and he starts to really become 
He's a omniscient. Yeah, he's, he becomes, a, he's a living computer at, which at he, a certain he point. Basically, well, he kind of becomes with, a mentor. Yeah. yeah, like well, I mean, the way he was raised, he grew up with no friends, like basically yeah. in a room with like maybe five people that he has seen yeah. his entire life. So he wasn't really groomed to have personality. Sure, and so it, I guess it's not much of a surprise when he doesn't. Congratulations, you've got a fifteen-year-old <laughs> block of wood that can also see every future. Well, possible. I think the yeah. the scene that comes to mind for me right now is his duel with uh, Jamis. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, oh, that, uh, was, that was a great scene, too. But yeah, his so mother, cool. like, watching him fight, realizes, of course he's going to win. We literally built a killing machine. Mm-hmm. So, like, she says machine right there. Yeah. Yeah. So. And then and then her moment of coming back to him and said, so how, how does do it feel? feel to be a killer? I think of trying men. to put a little bit of humanity back in him. Yeah. yeah. That was a that was a very powerful moment, I yeah. think. In And and I think, uh, you know, I, I, I agree that that. Herbert is less concerned with, or, or I'm interpreting, I'm, I'm inferring that Herbert is less concerned with us relating to his characters. And it, at least it feels to me more concerned with us relating to what's going on around the characters. Um, he seems to be more concerned about the fact that they play roles in this story, but the story is the thing. So much of our so much of our modern literature is built around the character ethic. Mm-hmm. We want to know about the character arc. We want the character to drive this. Herbert dismisses all of that. It's not about the character. It's about the inevitability of this conflict, the inevitability of this story, and the role that these individual characters play, whether they want to or not. Yeah. And that's one of the pieces, I think, that makes Paul unrelatable, is that he, as he's looking at this— He's the only character in the in in the midst of all of this, really, that sees the role that he has to play and sees it clearly enough that he recognizes that every choice he makes winds up being destructive somewhere along the line. And that he's got, in fact, one of the quotes that I wrote down, um, it was, uh, and it was when he was first coming in, when they were first being accepted into the Fremen tribe. Mm-hmm. Um, it says, and what Paul saw was a, was a time nexus within this cave, a boiling of possibilities focused here, wherein the most minute action, a wink of an eye, a careless word, a misplaced grain of sand, moved a gigantic lever across the known universe. He saw violence and the outcome subject to so many variables that his slightest movement created vast shiftings in the pattern. There yeah. is no way that you can relate to anybody yeah. that really sees yeah. themselves that way. They are operating on a level completely different than most of the rest of us. And at the same time, I think of this poor kid where he's, I mean, sure, he's been groomed to this kind of thing his whole life, and his mom has trained him as a Bene Gesserit, which, you know, it's on this whole other level. And at the same time, he's 15. And to have this realization, it's like... Yeah. yeah. What were you doing at 15? I was getting ready to get my driver's license. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing community theater. <laughs> oh, so like just last year. So it's the same. Yeah. No, and I never mind. I don't need to go down that rabbit hole. All once a goody goody, always a goody goody. Uh all right. Let's let's talk level one, two, and three. Um, do we do we see all of those in this in, in what we've been reading so far? What do you see the most? Oh, I think. Oh, divine, real quick. Yeah, Craig reminds me. Um, level <laughs> one. Well, level one is the good old, <laughs> you good old fashioned. You don't know, James. <laughs> level right. one, a ripping good yarn. Yeah. Um, the, level one is is, is the punching. It's it's the it's the humor. It's the base action humor. 
you know, it's a surface enjoyable level story. Okay. Yeah. Enjoyable stuff that keeps you stuff. entertained throughout the yes. story. Yes. Level two, when we talk about level two, we're generally talking about some social commentary. Uh, how does this how does this relate to the things that we are going through in our own lives? How does this relate possibly to some of the political or social things that are happening in our environment now? Does it relate? Does it inform? And level three, how does it inform us as far as the good life, as how to live a good life, be a good person? Um, what kinds of things does it tell us about our ethos, about about how we as human beings can or should be? Um, so level one, from the standpoint of the storytelling and just moving us along, well, I, there's there's plenty of it. I think there's I think it's mm. I think it's there's a lot there. Yeah, there is. I I wish that there were a little bit more humor in it, but it, it's one of the reasons why Duncan Idaho, like him coming in and like his drunken stupor, is so entertaining, and why I love Gurney Halleck so much. He's just so delightfully random. Like he's so different from anybody else. Yeah, he's yeah. he's like the Gurney one that really seems to have out. a very distinct yeah. personality. He, he yeah, he comes in and he he brings the light air the. He he, yeah. he lightens the mood every single time. Yeah, he's on. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of laugh out loud moments in this book. No, um, but in spite of that, it's a it's it carries you along. It moves yeah. you along, and it's a well told story. Yeah. Um, well, and it, and it's not just uh, out and out fighting action. I mean, as for example, the the uh, the scene with the the sandworm and the crawler where yeah. they rescue the the. The crew, the people, the crew on the crawler It is not a fight. It's not a battle, but it's action. You know, yeah, like the planet is literally trying to kill them. Yes. So, I mean, actively. So that's that's great. And any time that you can have action without fighting, I, I love fighting. I love a good battle story, of course. But anytime you can have action without fighting, without just punching, because, you know, <sighs> then then that makes for good action. OK. Or it makes for yeah. better action, I should say. OK. Or at least some different action. Yeah, and yeah. different is always better, according to Barney Stinson. <laughs> well, I knew it was always better. That's right. Going to say so, something about getting action and, and so level. You can't say that, Miss Goody Goody. Level ah. level two social <laughs> commentary, social the description of of what's going on and how does it inform our current social situations that the, we the find The whole book in. is social and political commentary. Yeah. Some of it I don't even know if was intentional when he wrote it, but like the. Uh, global warming, you know, the whole ecology of the planet stuff. That definitely applies. Uh, something that I found in this reading, because it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately, um, there's an us versus them mentality mm -hmm. yes. that is natural to every human. And the just the Atreides, Harkonnen hatred that they have for each other is very much like a, I don't know you, but you're wearing, you know, that that uh, uniform, so I hate you. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. That was something that stood out to me. Well, and kind of the same with the Freeman too, where Jessica is trying really hard to maneuver her and Paul into yeah. getting in good with the Freeman. We have to be one of them, so we're not, you know, their enemy. Yeah, there's okay. very there's you know we are in a we are in a time of tremendously polarized political and social situations. Yeah. Um. I whether you're whether you're here in the United States or you're uh, overseas, um. I I've I've. I don't know as much about uh, some of the some of the political things that are going on in other countries, but I recognize that I see uh, similarities uh, based on news stories that are that I'm hearing and based on conversations that I have with friends. There's a lot of polarization that is being brought to our attention right now, and this idea that you have to choose a side and you have to be clear about which side you're on. You know, there's a there's a moment where. Um, where the and, and it's it's toward the end of section two when uh, Paul kills Jameis 
And then he's looking around and expecting everybody to be upset with him. And they say, no, this is just our way. Um, but you contrast that with Paul learning that his father's been killed and they've verified that and his family's been killed. They're the last of the Atreides left alive. Does that make you want to go out and kill Harkonnens? And Paul's being put in this position, okay, now I need to choose between being an Atreides and being a Fremen. This this idea that you have to choose. Yeah. You cannot stay in middle ground um, becomes a really powerful piece that that he seems to be coming back to you. Which, um, which feels like it um, is more applicable today than it probably was in in Herbert's time, and it maybe more so than it, it has been, you know, as long as we can, you know, record. But it, it, it's very it's very apt today because it seems like there is very little room for common ground anymore okay. these days. And I and I don't want to I don't want to make a whole social commentary thing of this, but it it. it it just feels to my mind that, that that seems to be where we are. People are more interested in focusing on differences and dividing and driving yeah. apart than than in, in focusing on the things that we agree on. It's like we may not have the same methods or the same the same solutions to fix the problem that we both see as a problem, but we'd rather we'd rather argue with each other rather. Yeah, than... and like you now we read the story in Dune, and nothing really good comes from all this. Like. We hate each other, so well, let's all die. I guess. Yeah. Like that's not cool. Well, and that happens every every <laughs> single character that is that is remotely interesting in this dies in the first two sections. You know, <laughs> like oh, I like this character, and he's dead. Uh-huh. Oh, great. What about the commentary that and 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 I want to ask this. This isn't something that we've necessarily started that we've talked about much, um, but I but I think it bears some and and will kind of inform some discussion in section three. Um, what do we make of the role of the great houses and the Landsrad, the the alignment of all of these great houses that somehow are supposed to control economy, they're supposed to control politics, they're supposed to control all of these big pieces and keep this the the emperor in check, and yet they're all just sitting back watching the Harkonnens and Atreides kill each other. Because it's not profitable to get in the way. Yeah. Have uh, did you guys pick up on that? Was that something that 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 jumped out at you guys, or was that something that just kind of, you know, that it was it was glossed over, and then we're going to leave it alone? Looks like this is one of those places where because well, I, was, I, I, well, I I just I just wanted to I didn't want to dominate the conversation, so <laughs> I wanted to give Megan and, and James a chance. But I, I if, if something I kind of glossed over mainly because it is a common it it's a common storyline where you have you have sides or you have houses that kind of step aside not my fight you know i'm gonna I, i'm gonna be over here and, and protect my interests when when things start going south you want to hunker down and protect protect your interests that sort of thing until until the problems become big enough that you have to step in and, and by then it might be too late i mean mm-hmm. if you if you wait so i maybe and I don't know if this is Herbert's intention or not. Maybe it is a, uh, a, a commentary on not getting involved in the fight that, you know, probably could use your intervention. I don't I don't know. Well, and I'm at the same time, I can that, see them but... kind of standing behind and being like, well, I hate both of these guys. So let's let them kill each other. And then they're <laughs> yeah, dead. Which, and that's fine. Which is a um, lot where I might be. I mean, know. with the, the Count and the Countess 
Fenring. Fenring. Fenring thank yeah. you. Because um, they they have their own plans, and we don't know where that's necessarily coming from. But it's it's possible that Atreides and Harkonnen are just the most overt and bludgeony of all of the houses, and everybody else is a lot more subtle. And oh, bludgeony is a good word. Bludgeony. Yeah. Um, but uh, where like you know other people are like, oh well, we're gonna do some political maneuvering, and we're gonna do some other sort of manipulations here. Um, so it could just be a difference of style. Okay. Okay. I would love to get into some level three stuff, but I'll tell you what, we're going to hold on to that for next time. Cool. Uh, because... we, we also have some questions, um, that I want to hold until next time. Uh, primarily from Abe Lincoln Froman, just the greatest name. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The sausage King of Reddit. All sure, right. Why not? We're going to, we're going to have it a level. <laughs> Do, but are there, is there another question or two that you want to bring out? No, right we'll, now? we'll, we'll bring them up we'll later. Them later. Yeah. So, so I guess what I, what I'd like to do, um, as we're getting, as we're kind of bringing this one to an, to a close, um, I'd like to hear if you guys had any favorite quotes from this section or things that you said, you know, this, this one, when I read this, I said to myself, okay, I got to remember this. Ken, how about we start with you? I, I have little ones. I don't have any big, I, I have kind of like, uh, platitude quotes. I guess yeah. that, you, okay. that you could turn into a meme and, and, and post on you know social media. But there were a lot of those. There yeah. were a lot of them, but I, I loved them. Uh, the one, and I don't even remember who said them. I didn't write it down. So, uh, the mystery of life isn't a problem to solve, but a reality to experience. Mm -hmm. I thought that that's good. That's the, the whole journey before destination thing yep. that we love it. Love so much. There was always a choice, but sometimes every choice was grim. How many times do we, run into that where you yeah. know you got to pick the lesser of, of two sucky choices okay and uh number three the last one I'll, i have if wishes were fishes we'd all cast nets <laughs> i did like that one that's, talk about talk about throwing in an old earth saying and that, throwing yeah. it yep. into that that's my kind of practical practical philosophy yeah, right there I that it. i love all okay. right that's megan how about you i like that um one of mine i guess it's kind of level three ish but uh it's um uh says jessica felt her teeth chattering clamped them together then she heard paul's voice low and controlled reciting the litany fear is the mind killer fear is the little death that brings total ah, obliteration the litany against i will fear. face my fear Dude. i will permit it to pass over me and through me and when it is gone past me i will turn to see fear's path where the fear is gone there will be nothing only i will remain is it geeky of me to admit that when I was 14 and 15 years old and I was afraid of stuff, I said the litany of the litany of fear. I was just going to say that because <laughs> that was going to be my one. And that like that got me through some stuff when I was a kid. Do you have the whole thing memorized? No. Like but I've, cool I've been though. listening to it again that I've been trying to rememorize it because yeah. I haven't thought about it in a few years. But. I have most of it memorized. It's a there lovely were a reminder that it's like it doesn't matter what happens to you. You can get through it and... It, it, you decide whether it's going to conquer you. Like, yes, that a powerful, powerful piece. And I, and you're right. That is a little bit of a level three piece. Um, and certainly for me, a piece that I remember James, how about you? The fear is the mind killer. That Hi. was going to be mine. It's okay. Um, but I'll just add to it that like, like I said, it, it's one that I did call upon a lot growing up. Um, and I've even had, uh, just have a really good friend at any time. Either one of us were like going to a situation that required a little, uh, you know, encouragement, we would, hey, man, fear's the mind killer. I'm like, right, fear's the mind killer. And then we'd be able to just get through whatever we had to do. So that, that's a special little saying for me. So That's I know, awesome. I know for me, um, uh, anxiety um, is, a, is a 
a thing that I struggle with and that uh, some of my children struggle with. And we have tried to, uh, we have tried to embody that idea that you have to face fear and that once you do, the, the, the facing of fear is what allows fear to go, mm -hmm. to leave. Um, and that when it goes, when it leaves, it leaves you stronger. Um, that's been a powerful piece. Yeah. Um, mine, uh, as, as much as I love the litany, of, the litany of fear, that's, that's not the one that jumped out at me this time okay. or not one of the ones that jumped out at me this time. Cause like I say, it's part of my life. I've been using it since I was 15 years yeah. old when I'm afraid of things. Um, and I really do use it when I'm afraid of things. Um, but no, for me it was, and again, this comes from the conversation that the Reverend guy, uh, the Reverend mother was having with Paul, a world is supported by four things, the learning of the wise, the justice of the great, the prayers of the righteous and the valor of the brave. But all of these things are as nothing without a ruler who knows the art of ruling. Let that be your science. Um, Ooh. I was... First time I read the book, I'm not sure I caught that. Second time I read the book, I'm sure I didn't catch that. Um, and I don't know how many times I've gone through it, but this time I caught that and I went, I am holding on to that one. Uh, and maybe we'll get a chance. Maybe that's a level three thing that we get to talk about as we move forward. Um, all right. Um, Megan and Ken, prediction time. We've already oh. talked about the fact that Ken Her or Frank Herbert does a wonderful job of laying out exactly what we're thinking. Do you expect any any twists or turns? What predictions do you have? Um, well, you already ruined mine. So, which was which was Pat. Duncan Duncan's Idaho is still dead. alive and he's going to come back and kick butt. <laughs> I could be lying to you, Kim. You're not. I know you're not. The way you said it, I know you're not. Like these some Benedictine training that's there. He's, right. he's reading your wow. words. Exactly. The truth in them. I have. Like, like, like Paul, like Paul and Jessica's uh, before me. I know that you're not lying. <laughs> so, I, uh, but I, I do, I, I do foresee a uh, fight between uh, Paul and what's the what's the Harkonnen kid's name? Fade Rotha. Mm. There's got to be a fight there. Got to be. Um, I, I'd like to see the Baron get his somehow, but I'm not quite sure how I, I see it happening. But, um, uh, and that's, I, uh, that's about all I got for now. I mean, I don't think I, something happens to, to transform the planet, but I don't think it happens yet. So. Okay. Megan. Um, well, the little sister is going to be born and she's oh, going to be special. Sister. Yes. Um, I uh, am excited to see like how it comes about that Paul figures out that people start writing the worms. And learn about um, how they were, are related to the spice, the makers of the spice. Um, and I don't know, Paul and Johnny are going to get together. I'm really, I'm curious though about the Princess Ir Irulan because um, she keeps coming up, and, and Jessica is just so concerned about this relationship with Johnny. And she's like, no, he's <laughs> supposed to marry somebody fancy and like one of the. You know, pay, probably one of the emperor's daughters. I'm like, is that who Princess Arulan is? Is this like a, a political marriage? And then he, like, Chani's his concubine. Because they're just setting all of that up. That's really true, because Jessica was a concubine. You know, yep. I oh. am so much more aware of how Craig 
and Ryan felt when I was reading Mistborn with them now. Yeah. <laughs> and I really am enjoying this. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to call that a close. We're going to wrap this one up next time on The Legendarium. Uh, the red team is going to be tackling Night Angel, book one, part one, which is uh, all of book one, all of book one. So, um, yeah, that to look forward to. And then in two weeks, blue team will be back. We'll be finishing off Dune and finishing our conversation with James. All right. Thanks, James, for being here. And we'll oh, look forward you. to having you next time. Looking forward to it. Is that a trope? Yes. Your mom's a trope. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Saying wow. something to your mom is definitely a trope. Yeah. <laughs> My mom's a trope.